90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good. I'm tired. <laughs> Did you hear how chipper I sounded? That was really gross. <laughs> it, it was. You know, normally, like, we're both very medium on yes, the energy scale. That is exactly right. I had a real vacation, and it was awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where did you go? Uh, so my best friend since fifth grade lives in New York City, and so she, we went up to see her, and I took my 13-year-old son with me, and so it was just the two of us, and we had a fantastic time. It was great. I had to take off. I took off of work, which was really weird because I'm a faculty member. You usually don't have to do that, right? But now I'm a 12-month faculty member, so I was like, I'm absolutely not checking any emails. This is right. absolutely my time. It was really fun. But one of the places we went um, was the American Museum of Natural History. And I had never been before. And my son grew up obsessed with the Night at the Museum movies. So <laughs> clearly, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So clearly, you know, we got the picture next to the big Easter Island head and all that jazz. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and all that. So that was fantastic. But... Their geology exhibit, my poor son, right? He's been to every geology exhibit in every museum everywhere, plus seen every rock, right? And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> and so, <Right. laughs> But obviously, I thought of you when we saw this exhibit. And I'm sending that to you now. One of them is a picture with my sullen-looking son because he's 13 and nothing's cool. So he didn't smile in any photos at all. But I need you to build this because it was so neat. <laughs> oh, so I've got a photo of a large subducting slab. Yeah. So it was this huge squeeze box. But there was a subduction zone in it. <laughs> was it really a squeeze box or is this just like a cross section? Yeah. Of... So you can't see in the picture... Sorry, I know pictures aren't great radio. Right over my son's left shoulder, that's the end of the squeeze box, like the end of the little paddle thing. It's a real squeeze box. It had the mechanism to move it and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's got, instead of just squeezing and deforming, it has this, like, little ramp that goes down, and it's a subduction zone. Like, it makes this accretionary prism. Yeah. Like, it was spectacular. Yeah, I'm going to have to... Oh, I think I see how they're doing this. Okay. Because, yeah, we we are coming out with some ramps and things for our squeeze boxes, but they won't do subduction zones like this. They're just not big enough. Right. Like, I wouldn't even think about that. So I'm sending you more pictures just that shows sort of the mechanism a little bit more. But um, it's really impressive. So, you know, we've talked so much on here about the squeeze boxes that you've built. And this is the same thing, except for the scale is massive, right? Um, the sand is, I don't know, probably eight, nine inches thick. And it has probably five or six different layers in it. And they've squeezed this thing that was, mm, I don't know, four foot long um, and made this subduction zone. But it was so cool because you can just perfectly see all the, like I said, the accretionary wedge, like where you're scraping all the stuff on top into this little triangular-shaped chunk right at the trench, and what are the things that get sucked down into the slab? It was was very spectacular. I got very excited, and so much so, my son was like, just send it to John so we can keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> And you said, no, I want to wait until we're on there. That is exactly what I said. He goes, oh. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It also had more meteorites than I've ever seen. They had every meteorite you could ever want, including one that was like 600 tons or something ridiculous. I, that was hyperbole, but it was huge. It was like five foot tall and eight foot around. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It was 
an amazing Earth history. Like, walking through Earth's history all the way from, you know, 4.5 billion years up through, well, up through today, essentially, and all the other galleries. And it was a very awesome, very well put together story that was really fun. I was very, very impressed. Yeah, I'm, I want to go see this exhibit now. Oh, man, it was so cool. And they also had, which we've talked about on here before, right? The triaxes that you've worked on. They had awesome little pieces of rock that were deformed. Um, and they were deformed by the triax, but it was in like the very first part of the Earth History exhibit saying, hey, how do we know that plate tectonics happened? Well, you get deformed rocks. And then it had this really cool little, all these little cylinders of squished rocks from a triax. Because rocks are brittle and rocks are plastic. And mm-hmm. yeah, rocks they, are everything. Yep, they look like they're melted. It's very cool. And then they would have like actual deformed rocks behind it. Like they had these plates of schist that were, you know, the crenulations in the schist were like meters. It was, yeah, I'm getting super excited talking about it. I took a billion pictures and I have like one picture of me and my kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 900 pictures of all these rocks. So it was a great time. It was a good good end of spring break. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we've just been still working away here. We're deep in renovations and trying to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. I'm going to come up, not next week, but the week after, too. Or no, next week, yeah, to see you guys, so. Yeah, well, and I guess... Like I said, like I said last time, renovations is a generous word, really. It's more just, you know, painting, but there's a lot to paint. <laughs> Tearing down old pegboard, but there's a lot to tear down. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that is true. All the problems of a... So this complex is four buildings, and all of our heavy equipment has been moved into building two, which is larger than the building we had everything in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know how it all fit. <laughs> yeah, you had a lot of stuff on top of each other. <laughs> yep. But and we've been we've been getting our steps in for sure. I've been hitting we were talking about that earlier. I've been hitting <laughs> ten, eleven thousand steps every day, which for <laughs> me is highly abnormal. Normally I had about thirty five hundred. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. That's awesome though. <clears throat> Maybe you should have organized the equipment with that in mind. Right? Like right. <laughs> working your workout. Like <laughs> ask ask your employees how many steps they want to get and then situate their workstations accordingly. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. That'll be really good. So hopefully you can yeah. sleep sometime soon. When you're right. dead. When you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh you know, we were we were talking about something a while were, back. Were we? <laughs> yeah. Something about minerals. Are you trying to make ice as a mineral again? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Check that off. That's at least 75% of our shows where we mention that. <laughs> and drink. Yep. <laughs> I This is really appropriate. So, you know, we were in New York City, which is a landscape that is highly affected by glaciers, right? All of Long Island is just a moraine. Um, but that's not the only place that were, was affected by glaciers. And the last time... We talked about geology. We were walking along this Ice Age Floods National Ge- National Geologic Trail. Right. And we had made it to Washington before right. we said, this is actually going to be a multi-episode show. <laughs> you know, I think I could have done a show about every single one of these states. Um, number one, because the National Park Service, you know, they put together this new park that's this trail several years ago. Um, but they're the way they have their website is just fantastic. The separating it out by the different States. But I also said, you know, we should stop here. We talked about glacial Lake Missoula, which was all of the parts of Idaho and Montana. 
And we talked about some of the outwash when that glacial lake, when the glacier would melt, the ice dam would melt, and then you would flood out all of this water. Um, what you could do, make all these huge ripples and everything like that. But it's like that didn't happen just once because during the last ice age, you had a lot of retreat um, and growth of the glaciers. And so there were actually several flooding events. And as we go further downstream, if you will, in Washington and Oregon, we also see the evidence of these flooding events a lot. And this is actually where I first learned about the existence of Glacial Lake Missoula in general. And I remember I did a, I did a report about it, actually, as an undergrad. But part of this is this area in Washington, just sort of an overall area called the Channeled Scablands. Huh, okay, so... Have you heard about that? I have not. Okay, so this is one of... This is also a part of the country I've never really got the chance to explore. Okay, Um, so I've only been up there twice in terms of Washington and Oregon, Um, but I got really excited about this, and I had heard Channeled Scablands that there are these huge ripples, you know, not like ripples that you see on, not unlike ripples that you see in river systems, but they're huge, you know, tens of meters, hundreds of meters high. And this is a very, very controversial landscape, I guess. I think this is one of the, like, really big fights in geology because this is certainly a uniformitarianism versus catastrophism fight. Okay. Yeah, and so it's presented as this, and I think it's presented as this by a lot of non-geologists to say that, like, geologists don't believe this because they don't believe in, like, catastrophic events like great floods. But really, yes, uniformitarianism, which is the present is the key to the past, meaning that geology changes in small ways every day versus catastrophism, this big thing about, you know, only these huge things like giant floods or impacts can change geology. I think most geologists today, you know, it's both of these things occur, right? I don't think there's a lot of controversy about that anymore. Yeah, I mean, we know that there are punctuated events and constant processes. And right. yeah, I, I doubt that there's anybody that doesn't accept that. Right. And so you can go all over the internet and find where they say geologists don't accept this. And it's really not true like but this area i'm not going to get into the rest of the controversy but this area was described in the 1920s by this geologist harlan bretz and then he was also aided by uh joseph pardee of the usgs um there's a big like pardee lecture and award given at the geological society of america meeting every year and harlan bretz got into this idea of these glaciations. Remember, we talked about glaciation not very long ago on the show, and it's like the idea of glacial processes, like there being ancient ice ages, is still pretty young in the 1920s. Um, right. And he says, like, maybe this is a place where these processes happen because a lot of these places, like this channeled scablands, look like they've been scoured out by huge floods. And it just, the landscape looks like catastrophic processes have taken place there. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, and when you go, Western Washington is weird looking. (laughs) Like, it's just weird looking, right? There's a whole lot of, in this area, the Columbia River basalts, right? This is a large igneous province right here. Right. Uh, from like 15, 16 million years ago. And so there are basalts everywhere, but there are these areas that do just appear scoured. Like there's not a lot of soil there. They look scoured. They have these remnants of these huge ripples. So they have hills, but the hills are just made of gravel, essentially. And where there is soil... Or in some cases, luss, which is, you know, siltstone, um, 
windblown siltstone, which is very commonly deposited during glacial times, uh, there'll be like channels carved within those piles of sediment. It looks like catastrophic processes have been there. And a lot of those things that they call these big channels are called coolies. Hmm. Have okay, you heard? Okay, so coolie sounds French. Yes. <laughs> right? And it means to flow. Um, I mean, and we'll talk about Grand Coulee. That's one of the big ones right there, right? We always say Grand Coulee Dam because there's a dam right. in that coulee now, right? But the coulee itself is this big valley that's created by this fluvial erosion. Hmm. Yep. All from, so, you know, the glacier further away that dammed up, created Glacial Lake Missoula, and a whole bunch of other glacial lakes. So now that we're in Washington and Oregon, there's a lot of other glacial lakes to go along with this. Yeah, so you're basically going through giant bed forms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bed forms and essentially, like, sheet flooding. Because what the bedrock there is is just these basalts right and so these basalts are just blobbed out onto the landscape and there are many many miles of these things because there was the columbia river basalts were a large igneous province and yeah and they just look like they've been carved and that's exactly what happened Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you've heard of Grand Coulee Dam, right? And maybe a lot of people have heard of these channeled scablands. But there's a, there's a couple of other really cool places in Washington that I just learned about by reading about this Ice Age Trail. <laughs> and, man, this is a handful of a name, right? <laughs> it takes up significant space in the show notes. <laughs> Great Gravel Bar National Natural Landmark of Moses Cooley. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot to print on that little handout that they give you. I despise the National Natural Landmark. That's so hard to say. That is. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so what what can we learn from the GGBNNLMC? <laughs> This is great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Park service, you can use that one for free. Sure can. (laughs) So this Ice Age Trail is such a cool thing. Um, I'm so glad that that this new person that they have working is like getting the name, the getting the word out because it's like this was already an existing state park, actually. And so it became part of this Ice Age Trail and now has achieved National natural landmark status, right? And so hard to say. <laughs> I know. So. It's so hard to say. There's another one coming up. Uh, <laughs> so this is so foreign to me because it's just not something that I work on because I don't live in a place where we have these glacial sediments, right? And so you can trace these different lobes of the ice sheet, right? I say this thing called last glacial maximum, which was 18,000 years ago when we had like the most ice that we had. So it was the farthest southern extent of the continental ice sheet that took over, you know, most of Canada and a lot of the northern part of the U.S. And there were different in this area, present day Washington, in the Pacific Northwest, you know, there were different lobes and they all moved in different times. And you can tell that. You can read that in the rocks. That's the geologic history of the area. And so this one in GGB and in LMC <laughs> <laughs> was the Okanogan lobe of that continental ice sheet that spread across the Columbia River Valley into present-day Washington. Okay, and so when this lobe spread out, it diverted the river. Yeah. So you can't, you're not just like scouring the landscape with this ice, but this ice is creating all these dams. And I mean, there are still flowing rivers too, 
And the movement of the ice sheet through the ice dams and piling up all that sediment um, diverted the glacial Columbia River into this former channel of this Moses Cooley. So this Moses Cooley is this really big outwash, or it was a big channel of a river. And then the glacier diverted the Columbia River into that, got an ice dam. And I think this was the place where they had said that there was like a record of 40 different flooding events. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about flooding and the thing has Moses in the name, you know it's Correct. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, and so there's a lot of different areas around here that are affected by different outwash. Um, it, I mean, it looks like the stuff that we've already talked about seen through Idaho and Montana, but we're a little further downstream now. Um, and so that coolie looks like it's scoured. This was actually in this area. It's one of the first outburst floods from Lake Missoula. Um, and I think they probably know that because this Moses Coulee was formed from this. And it's one of the largest coolies there are, second only to appropriately named Grand Coulee. So that's a lot of water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> namesake of the park, I thought this was really cool. So this Columbia River salt, basalts, remember, they're... 15 million years old. So they've been there for a while. And there was one of these basalts and big basalt blocks that did not get eroded in the coulee. So it's like a big chunk that's stuck in the middle of the coulee. And as that outwash occurred, this gravel bar formed behind this huge bedrock protrusion. So it kind of like acted as uh, as like protection and you got eddies around it. And as those eddies came around it, they deposited their big rocks and it was basically sheet flooding there at the end. And so that great gravel bar was preserved because it was kind of protected um, from the flooding because of where it was located. And now it is a national, <laughs> natural landmark. Ah, ah, mm. ah, ah. Oh, it sounds so boring, too. Like, great gravel bar. Like, what are we going to, Mom? What are you making us look at? Like, (laughs) I, however, is very excited (laughs) about it and would love to go see it. (laughs) Okay, so after we stop at the great gravel bar, where are we going next on this trail? (laughs) This is on the trail. It has nothing to do with the Ice Age, which I thought was funny. (laughs) But... Um, also, I think Great Gravel Bar needs to be the name of our next business venture. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yes. This is great. Um, it's like Esker Water, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give away all the ideas. I know. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so next, Geeko. Geeko. <laughs> nope. I have a, such a hard time reading this word. Ginkgo Petrified Forest. National natural landmark. You got to slow down and go word by word on that one. <laughs> I was also like using my hands in the air to like punctuate that. <laughs> um, these are ridiculous, but. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the LGM. No, nothing at all, but it has a lot of ginkgo locks. <laughs> so I'm taking paleobotany. I know I've mentioned that on here before. They had, a, they had a test right before, two weeks ago, um, when we didn't record because you were moving. And my students were so angry that I did not take the exam in class. And I said, no, I'm done with that. <laughs> but one of the things on the exam was about ginkgos. Because ginkgo trees are really weird. Like, they've been around for millions of years. Virtually unchanged. And so what can we get from the trees in terms of geologically interesting data? Well, so now this geologically interesting part is that there are a whole bunch of petrified trees. Um, 
It's nothing to do with lakes that were dammed during the Ice Age. They were dammed by lava flows. One of them is called the Ginkgo Flow. How about that? Uh, and so in this, it, this actually, these ginkgos became preserved during the Columbia River basalt eruptions. Okay. So this area 15 million years ago was wet and humid and there were swamps and forests. And if you've been to Washington, especially Western Washington, there are no trees. It is not what you imagine, right? You say Pacific Northwest, and you imagine that small ecosystem that's along the coast. But Western Washington right. is barren. Um, and so I guess that's why this is also really cool, because it preserves this paleoclimate from 15 million years ago. So this lava flow comes in, and it flows into this swampy lake, essentially. Um and as this lava flow comes in around this swamp and these forests, it's obviously going to catch all these things on fire, right? Um, but it also acted to sort of dam up the lake. And as the lava flowed into the lake and it was quenched, it kind of protected the logs that were buried in the lake. And they were able to, because you've added all this silicic material these rocks became permineralized and were preserved as petrified wood. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the <laughs> things, but nothing to do with the ice, but it's on the it's on the it's on the trail. So Well, but lava's always exciting. Exactly. And there's a lot of lava there. And ginkgos are exciting. That's really cool. Like I, I just don't I don't think I've seen petrified ginkgos. Um, and so you can go to Ginkgo Petrified Forest National Natural Landmark and see them. Yep. All right. <laughs> There's three campgrounds there, I found out too. But that was outside of the scope of the, <laughs> of the show. <laughs> so... Oh, I've got a, a funny story about glacial-related campgrounds, but that's for another time. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, so, <laughs> so the next stop on the trail, are we back to LGM stuff? Yes. So I didn't want to lead with Grand Coulee because everyone talks about that, right? But I've combined Grand Coulee and this thing called Dry Falls State Park. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dry Falls, that sounds like an abandoned waterfall. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> as we've talked about on here before, because we're obsessed with ice for whatever reason, um, when you have an alpine glacier that comes down a valley, it leaves behind these areas where, so you've got the main alpine glacier, and then you've got all the little glaciers that are running down into it, Right. And those little glaciers also carve out little U-shaped valleys. But once the main glacier is gone and those little glaciers are gone, those little U-shaped valleys from the smaller glaciers are just left literally hanging. They're called hanging valleys, right? And so now in the absence of ice, they have waterfalls. And that's exactly what Dry Falls State Park was back then. (laughs) So are we talking like, Turner Falls and Oklahoma size waterfalls, you know, fun to go play in. Or are we talking like something that would be made into a movie about people going over it in a barrel? That is exactly right. Come on, we're in Grand Coulee. This is the big daddy, right? Uh, so this was this was the big daddy. Grand Coulee was the ancestral Columbia River channel. Uh, lava and ice changed the course of the Columbia River, um, but that channel filled up with glaciers and lots of meltwater. And so this area would have been four times the size of Niagara Falls. Okay, now four times the size in like, are we talking volume, <laughs> height, width? Uh, uh, all the know, things. Square area. Like, I'm just giving you that number. Uh- <laughs> yeah, but that's such a news anchor thing to do. I know, wasn't it? It was clickbait. <laughs> 
within the podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, but it's an, but it's not an odd number, and you know studies show that odd numbers get more clicks. I think you just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you never see those listicles have you know ten things. It's nine. Or... It's oh my gosh. Anyway. Wow, that feels like a fun paper right there. Um, so for me, the four times is the width. It's three and a half miles wide, which I've, have you been to Niagara Falls? Oh, wow. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. not, but that's, I mean, three and a half miles, that's a long way. Exactly. So Niagara Falls seems kind of, I don't know. I Just like when my dad told me we were going to go to, you know, um, <laughs> the volcano that's on the way, that's in northern New Mexico. Um, Capulin? Ca- Capulin, yes. So my dad, when I was little, we go to Capulin, and I think, volcano, we're going to go to the top, and there's going to be lava. And there wasn't, because it's not active. And I was deathly disappointed <laughs> that there was not a bubbling lake of lava in the middle of that. I sort of felt like that about Niagara Falls, too. I don't want to be snotty, but it seems like it was really hyped up, and when I got there, I was like, oh... Like, yeah, this is super cool, but I don't know. It wasn't 400 feet high. <laughs> yeah, 400 feet high, three and a half miles wide. That's just an incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this was the, it's just a cliff now, um, dry falls. But that's, would have been exactly. And it would be a lot of fun to rappel down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would. It'd be pointy, though. It's all that basalt, you know. I'll just land correctly. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> or else. Right. <laughs> Come down with just shredded clothes. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. So that was the other one that I thought was really cool. I definitely want to go to Great Gravel Bar and Dry Falls State Park in Washington to look at along this Ice Age Trail. That would be super interesting um, to look at these large catastrophic deposits and then we exit to oregon another state i've never been to oh <gasps> no kidding no kidding yep. I, I only Pretty much if it's colorado and east i've been there yeah okay gotcha um i took care of all of these in like one one big trip i will say so okay so, yeah that's i only have four states left mm-hmm Ala- are they? alaska hawaii uh, North Dakota and Maine. <laughs> oh, see, I between us, we're only short Alaska then. Oh, man. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, we're going to Hawaii in July, so I'm very excited about that. But, oh, yeah, well, you know we'll have some volcano shows then. A hundred percent. With real lava, not this Capulin volcano with no lava. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, okay, you're in Oregon, and... I guess the story here is it's it's the end of the road. Right. right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So you gotta you gotta stick all this stuff somewhere, right? So Montana and Idaho and Washington are the places you're eroding all this sediment from. And Oregon is the place you're depositing all this sediment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we get to a park that also sounds like saying you're going to a gravel bar. <laughs> the Willamette Floodplain National Park. I know. Doesn't that sound awful and boring? <laughs> yes. Um, so those of you above the drinking age will be like, oh, Willamette. Yes, I've had some nice pinots from there. As have I. Um <laughs> And the picture, did you look at the picture of this? It's, I have not. It's, uh, yeah, it's just a picture of a field. <laughs> it's, yeah, um, it says that the Willamette floodplain represents the largest unplowed, well, let me see this, the largest unplowed example of native bottomland interior valley grasslands in the North Pacific border natural region (laughs) that is a very specific thing isn't it followed by the sentence that says this area is in excellent condition (laughs) so that part's a little bit weird 
But the point is the Willamette Valley, you know, is a huge agricultural area. And it's because it's the floodplain for all these rivers and everything. Um, so, yeah, a lot of sediment got deposited there. And it is very uh, viable for agriculture now because of that. Thanks, glaciers. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we know that floodplains make great agricultural land. Mm-hmm. Egyptians have taken advantage. Many people have taken advantage yes. of it. So this makes sense. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, there are, you know, there are also some of these areas in Oregon, like Hat Rock State Park, which I think is really funny. Hat Rock is this, just like at Great Gravel Bar, it's one of these big chunks of basalt that's been carved by glaciers going through there and it just looks like the top of a hat so there's that guy um (laughs) so there's still erosion happening in Oregon too but one of the cool things that I love about glacial stuff is there's nothing that can do what glaciers do and so it's very much a smoking gun in terms of like interpreting a paleoclimate, you know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah, you know glaciers—they definitely leave their mark. They're very distinctive marks, and you know it was cold, right? Exactly. And one of the ways you know it was cold is because you get rocks where they don't belong. What? <laughs> that sounds like erratics because it's too long ago for pesky geologists to have moved rocks around. <laughs> and they're too big. So what are erratics? They are, or we call them glacial erratics, which is just a great name. Um, and they're exactly that. You get this rock and you say, where did this X type of rock come from? Where did this diorite come from? There's no diorite within a hundred miles of this place, but I am in a place where there used to be glaciers. So I bet this glacier plucked this diorite from 400 miles away and it carried it here. And then when the glacier melted, the diorite just said, okay, I live here now. And we call those rocks glacial erratics. Right. And the smaller ones. Yeah. Okay. Feasibly in, Recent times, they could have been moved. Yeah. You know, we, we transport rock all across the country for decoration. Sure That's going to confuse people in the future. Absolutely. <laughs> Why are there uh, all, all these <laughs> tiny beds of lava rocks? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but you're talking in this case about giant rocks, like 90 tons. Yes. Also, another fantastic name. Erratic Rock State Natural Site. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so this is the, this, this erotic, it, oop, you're going to have to <laughs> delete that one. <laughs> this erotic. <laughs> okay. I'm done. This erratic was so big, they gave it a name. <laughs> yep. Yeah, which I think is hilarious. So the Bellevue erotic. Erratic rock is the 90-ton rock. And the type of rock that this Bellevue erratic is, you don't experience it until you drive 500 miles north. That's a long ways to move 90 tons of rock. Isn't that unbelievable? This is why ice, man. It's the best mechanical weathering agent there is. It's the most powerful mineral. Mm. <laughs> Except for kryptonite, probably. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so um, these glacial erratics are really weird. You can see them all over the place. It just happens that in Oregon, because this is sort of the end of the line, there's a bunch of erratics in this area. The Tualatin Heritage Center also has like a cool little Ice Age walk that has a whole bunch of um, erratics as well. And they also have a bunch of, in this area, a bunch of archaeological sites um, because, you know, people were definitely hanging out 18,000 years ago. You know, humans grew up in an ice age. And so 
this area has not only the glacial erratics, but also um, some really cool heritage and archaeological sites as well. All right, cool. So that sounds like it would be worth visiting if you're up in the area as well. Yeah, exactly. I think that, man, looking at this map, I feel like this Ice Age Floods National Geologic Trail has like a, I don't know, two weeks at least. <laughs> I mean, we've covered a lot of ground in these two episodes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I can't imagine you know trying to trying to do this in less than less than definitely couldn't do it in less than a week because i have a feeling that once i got to um great gravel bar national natural landmark of moses cooley i'd stay there a while i mean <laughs> you have to to read the signs <laughs> oh that's awesome I don't know what we're going to talk about next with regards to glaciers, John. I feel like we've covered so so many glacial <laughs> glacial things. It's it's true, but glaciers are really fascinating. That's why I have multiple textbooks on them. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. It's the one thing I've never like taken a class about, so it's probably why I'm obsessed with them. But um, yeah, I thought that was a really cool walk through there and you should at the very least check out the national park service um website about the ice age floods and see the pictures of all these places that we've been talking about and you can say yeah that's not what i thought the pacific northwest looked like <laughs> but that's what glacials <laughs> would do for you so yeah yeah it sounds like it so well i guess then it's time for something that's, I don't know. I can't even come uh, yeah. up with a good segue. I know. I mean, it's not completely different. There's water in here, too. Speaking of... It uh, has the word drainage? Yeah, sure does. <laughs> it has the word drainage. It's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> Isn't this weird? It is. And <laughs> I will say, physical review... Why do you make me subscribe <laughs> to get access to any supplementary materials? I know. I can't watch the videos. I'm so You can't give the angry. supplementary materials away. Yeah, come on, man. You got to hook people somehow, right? Uh. Well, because the title of Everlasting Bubbles and Liquid Films Resisting Drainage Evaporation and Nuclei-Induced Bursting is not going to do it. I mean, I clicked on it, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh this is by rue et al and in yes physical review of fluids from last year and they made an everlasting gobstopper <laughs> man you took that joke <laughs> i was i was waiting to, to make that when we talked about the potential uses of this are you serious <laughs> i was gonna say well you could make everlasting gobstoppers oh my gosh that's why we're doing this this podcast nine years later. <laughs> uh, well, we found out pre-show that we had uncoordinated started drinking the same <laughs> beverage as well. So Exactly. A beverage we not normally associated with drinking, so that's why it's weird. Oh, yes. my goodness. That's super funny. Stole that dad joke right out of your... <laughs> um, this was kind of neat i love that it seems like it's this very like basic science thing that they say we made this bubble that doesn't pop here go do some stuff with it we don't know what you're gonna do with it but here it is <laughs> it's true and i did find a paper that predated this that did have a movie that was accessible of them making one of these bubbles <gasps> oh really okay was it cool so there was a beaker of, in their case, just water. Mm -hmm. There's a beaker of water. They sprinkled these little microparticles, okay. glass microparticles into it. Mm -hmm. And they dipped, they had, in the paper, this is an overly honest method. <laughs> in the paper, it said a rectangular wire frame. It was definitely a piece of plexiglass with some haphazardly drilled holes. <laughs> <laughs> nylon bolts and like bailing wire wrapped around it <laughs> excellent <laughs> but they dipped it in and then they withdrew it and 
I thought, oh, it's going to blow a bubble in the frame like you normally do, you know, with bubbles. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened. Instead, off the side of the frame, this little round particle dropped back into the fluid. (gasps) Oh, weird. And they call these, and it was discovered by accident by a grad student who you know was bored at 1 (laughs) a.m. Uh, they call these gas marbles. That took me a while when reading this. I'm like, what are they talking about? Gas marbles. Mm-hmm. And it says they can survive rolling and you know, like being kind of played with a little bit. And they can withstand up to 10 atmospheres of pressure, internal <gasps> or external, without deformation. Wow. So you could put 10 atmospheres of gas and store it in one of these little things. That is unbelievable. (laughs) These things are weird. Now I'm going to have to go in when I get to school. and My proxy wouldn't allow me to access this. Try to find those movies. (laughs) Right. How cool. Okay. Yeah, so they talk about normal bubbles and say, well, normal bubbles burst for a variety of reasons, which I mm-hmm. guess I'd never really thought about. Yes, because it's very specific. The the bubble right. bursting, the literature, there is multiple, <laughs> multiple, um, yeah, citations for the ways bubbles can burst. I wonder if at their conferences, you know, somebody <laughs> asks a question, say, I don't, don't mean to burst your bubble. Oh, God. I bet that's outlawed. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, so, I bet they kick you out for that. <laughs> uh, they, they can drain, which is, is gravity pulling liquid to the bottom of the bubble, making the top thin. Also, like, not how I would think about that, right? Like, right. that's very cool. Okay, so gravity they, can burst your bubble. They can evaporate. Yeah. Makes sense. And get, it says that most bubbles can get down to like 10 nanometer skin thickness before <gasps> they pop. Wow. Okay. It's tiny. Or nuclei induced bursting, which I didn't totally get. They keep talking about Laprosian overpressures and things in here. Mm-hmm. But my basic understanding of this one was you know, a piece of pollen or something provides a stress concentration. Yeah. Right. So, like, when you poke your your Dawn dish detergent and all the bubbles go away or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You poke it and it pops. <laughs> so, yeah, they made some of these gas marbles. Well, they made bubbles. They made gas marbles. And then they used water and glycerol. Mm-hmm. And they made a gas marble that lasted over a year. Yeah. How cool was it that they're, like... As of this writing, this thing has existed this many days. Mm-hmm. Well, it did burst. Oh, no, that's right. That, sorry, that's the second thing that we'll get to. Yeah, that's no, right. it did burst, and they said that they think it burst because they noticed it taking on a greenish hue, <gasps> and they thought that <laughs> it was growing things inside. It's water. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it probably grew some mold, and that's what caused it to burst oh. after 400 and something days. So sad. Um, it's cool because these things, like, basically lose their spherical shape because they're just sitting there, which is kind of weird. But they don't change, like... It's crazy to think that the air pressure doesn't change like the radius of this thing over a year. Unbelievable. Yeah. So 465 days. Here it is. Um, and I, they don't offer any hints in the category of what are we going to use this for? Yeah. Yeah. They literally say here, here's this thing. Go for it. Which... <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Like, that's a very interesting way of putting that. Um, so they do, like, the cage thing you were talking about earlier. They did this at the end, too, where they have this, like, metallic frame, and they dip it in these everlasting bubbles. That was the one that they said, as of this writing, 
you know, we dipped this frame in this water glycol glycerol mixture that we did. And the little bubbles that form or the film that forms around that frame was still intact. Right. Yeah, 378 days after formation. Hmm. Yeah, that's weird. And yeah, they just offer it up. They're like, do we need to, you know, are we going to store things in these? Are we going to use them to move things around? Like, who knows? But here's your unburstable bubble. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I was trying to think, can we transport... You know, energy gases in them, but well, we still got to have all these little glass marbles and yeah, yeah, like rolling. We can't around. pressurize them that well. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's really cool though. Like, I wonder, I wonder if I can get fine enough sandblasting media to create these. Ooh. Sandblasting Probably, glass beads. Man, those micro things look pretty tiny. Yeah. I have a box of some stuff. Maybe this is better talking about off the air. <laughs> I found a box of some really, really fine micro beads that I just have hmm. laying around. Yes. So, I don't know. Let's make some gas marbles. Sounds great. Well, I mean, I'm going to see you soon. So. Yep, exactly. That's what I'm saying. All right. I'll put my glass of microbeads that I found in a lab space <laughs> in the car, and we'll do some experiments. You got the room now. Maybe we can make a really big one and roll around in it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so if you make your own gas marble <laughs> and would like to update us on its current progress and if it's growing any life in it or not... Uh, Shannon, how can folks send that in? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Um, <laughs> I really want to see these movies of you floating around in your gas marble. Um, you can upload those to our Slack channel. We're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. As always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to keep us going, you may do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 